They're squirmy and wormy and purple and green. The grossest little creatures that you've ever seen. Creepy Fill the monster mold with the colored plastic goop and make a creepy crawler from a yucky monster soup. They're yucky, yucky, squirmy, wormy, very scary, sometimes hairy, squiggly, wiggly, creepy crawling. Gross out your sister, embarrass your dad. You can be a little creep without being bad. So Creepy It's Carpenter is a two-month Halloween series featuring the best and the worst of Carpenter's horror movies, including The Fog, Ghost of Mars, Christine, and more. The Thing and They Live sold separately. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I am Ryan from Coldsploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host, Martin. How's it going? Uh, we're doing alright. We are now into October. We're not doing alright. Yankees lost. And that's true. They did. In the postseason, but we're we're into October now, so we're we're in the heart of Halloween season. It's the, October is when normal people are like, okay, let's celebrate um, Halloween. You know, some people start early, like me and you. We start in September, so I wish we had our drop machine up and running so we could drop the have the drop of like spooky, scary, creepy, yeah, I mean, you can, you do it just fine yourself, so... Oh, thanks. thanks. Yeah. Spooky, scary skeletons and shivers up my spine. Yeah. Right, and people, what people don't know right now is Ryan's um, back, uh, background isn't the green screen that he has behind his computer that we never use for our podcast. It's just a box of Frankenberry. Yeah. Boxes upon boxes of Frankenberry. I... Because it, it's the only one he could get because nobody likes Frankenberry. That is true. Frankenberry is probably my least favorite. Booberry's also awful. No, Booberry's pretty good. My favorite of all time is Yummy Mummy, but it's just not made. But I did get some Monster Mash this year. I have three boxes of Monster Mash, uh, which is pretty good. Were you able to find any Captain Crunch? uh, Yep, got Captain Crunch. Because I know, like, four years ago, that was an ordeal, looking for boxes of Captain Crunch. Yep, got Captain Crunch, and I have uh, Spooky Loops, the Fruit Loops with Adam's Family Marshmallows. So, I'm stocked up on cereal, for sure. <laughs> so, instead of cereal, we're not we're not here to talk about cereal this time. We're 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 knee deep in Carpenter territory. We've been doing uh, our So Creepy It's Carpenter series. From yeah, from September all through October, we're we're doing uh, most of Carpenter's horror movies, um, aside from Halloween and The Thing and a couple others. And we've so we, our goal was to do the good, the bad, and the ugly, or as we refer to them, the creepy of Carpenter's output. And we've done some great. We've done some mm, mediocre, and then we, we've also done the bad. And today, we're here to talk about one that I thought was going to be more on the bad side, but ended up being more on the good side, which I was surprised about because I've never seen this movie before. It's one of the like, Carpenter's only films that I hadn't, hadn't really seen. Which is? Body Bags. No, god damn it, you did it again. <laughs> I missed the John Carpenter It's John Carpenter's body bags. It is, except John Carpenter only directs two out of the three shorts in this anthology. So it's 
John Carpenter plus um, the other guy. Um, to, to, <laughs> the other guy. We just call him the other guy. John Carpenter plus Toby Hooper. I'm pretty sure that's what Steven Spielberg said on the set of Poltergeist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's uh, the other guy. Who's that guy that's that's helping out here? Just, just like, hey, uh, what do you think we should do, uh, Steven? Toby, not now. Give me a coffee. Don't worry, I'll give you credit. Just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. This is uh, this is a joint. Uh, well. I guess you can't really call it joint if John Carpenter does two out of three, right? You, uh, primarily Carpenter movie with Toby Hooper getting a spot here for some reason. Um, because well, well, oh, you want your anthology uh, all directed by the same person. That's kind of the fun of an anthology. Well, different people's touches on it. Uh, well, if this anthology movie was simply a Carpenter production like carpenter was doing all of them then yeah i I wouldn't mind it and there's certainly anthology movies that um have just had just one director on it uh however in this case body bags is actually a tv movie technically it's a showtime movie and it was intended to be the start of an anthology series um it was like showtime's you know showtime was saying like oh hbo what are you guys doing over there got tales from the crypt that looks pretty awesome we should do that too and so Body Bags was sort of an attempt to have their own Tales from the Crypt. Uh, it never worked out. It, uh, you know, it's, the movie premiered, but there were no other anthology episodes uh, shot and aired for it. Uh, but it would have been a crazy thing to have Body Bags on TV um, along with Tales from the Crypt. I long for an alternate reality where that occurred, honestly. Because we'll talk about... You know, well, you, you know, though, if this was, like, an alternate reality where this was going on, by, like, the fifth episode, Carpenter would have been out. He would have been like, all right, I'm fucking done with it. Yeah, I don't think that Carpenter would have stuck around to do multiple. I, you know, this actually would probably have become um, almost like what HBO did with Masters of Horror uh, it, later on, though. And, you know, it would probably have been the same thing. You know, they wouldn't have been able to to uh, go looking for Robert Zemeckis because he was busy with HBO with uh, Tales from the Crypt. but So they would have had to employ some other people to, to direct some of these episodes. Um, you know, there probably would have been some crossover. I imagine we would have gotten maybe George Romero in here at some point, um, you know, because of his work on Tales from the Dark Side. And um, we probably would have had some other, you know, relatively minor directors uh, shooting some, some episodes for the anthology. But I, I do... I wish we had gotten at least a little bit more from body bags. I think it would have been an interesting premise. Um, and it's even a little bit, you know, it's creative in how it serves up the, the stories. So it, to have Carpenter be the crypt keeper esque person that uh, starts the anthology episode, I think would have been tremendous as we'll talk about. Cause he really is a treat in body bags. He's, he's the best part of the film by far. So I, I do long for, for an alternate reality where, one, body bags existed along with Tales from the Crypt. I'm not saying replace tra- Tales from the Crypt, but body bags exists on Showtime along with Tales from the Crypt. And two, Wes Craven's still alive. Well, he's turning in his grave right now about to scream five. That's not a thing, is it? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh. He's turning in his grave. Oh. Well, everyone's coming back, so. Yeah, I'm just saying. It's not going to be the same. Well, who's doing that? Not without Wes. Eh, he, eh, well, I mean, I'm not going to like it. Pro- I mean, listen, you never know. You never know. See, but that's what I'm saying. That alternate reality would be awesome, right? So Wes Craven comes is back. He is continually retweeting my tweets about what I <laughs> – of the reviews I write for his movies. Body Bags is airing on Showtime. I can't believe it's been a fucking decade since Scream 4. Mm-hmm. Which, again, go back to our Screamathon. Underrated film. Great film. Great film. Refer to Scream 4 episode. I don't even... Normally, I'm a pretty good editor with that stuff, but I don't remember what episodes those were. We're so far deep into it now, I really have no idea. But refer back to that. Well, we should have somebody like uh, Bag Boy that uh, keeps track of... Yeah track of all that but we don't all right well we've wasted enough of the the listeners time here with random ramblings not about body bags well we have not wasted how dare you insinuate that no i'm just kidding it wasn't a waste because again everyone wants an alternate timeline where body bags exists as a tv series everyone I i speak for everyone on this podcast it's well, you know what you should do. You should set to make a White House petition, like on petition.gov, and be like, bring body bags. To <laughs> no, the- see, no, because I don't think it can exist now. I think it had to exist in 1993. Are you kidding me? The half the schlock that Netflix picks up, they pick this up in an instant. No, no, I'm I'm not saying I don't I don't think it like that it literally can exist. I'm saying I don't think it would be good now. It had to have been done in 1993 to actually be good. To have that 90s aesthetic. Exactly. Now, like if you re- like refer to Greg Nicotero's Creep Show, the uh, Shudder original that's uh, airing right now in its third season, and you can see why it doesn't work now because that that show is a train wreck of very low budget, and it looks like it's low budget, and it like the episodes are just poorly directed because they're so slow and they don't really have setting changes that's why it can't work now but in 1993 it it could and did work in some capacity you know tales from the crypt did have bad episodes uh tales from the dark side was not a really great series monsters from the 90s uh poor man's tales from the dark side which is saying something but still there was a bevy of anthology type episode serials uh back in the 90s and they worked out pretty well and i think body bags could have been one of them why producers why anyway that alternate reality doesn't exist ryan don't try to open up space-time continuum to to find it (laughs) (laughs) all right let's take a break before we get too far into body bags and we will talk about the beer that we have on the show today. And I will say, there was a major, a major mix-up on the show for this episode <laughs> with the beer. A major mix-up. And I'll let Martin explain what that mix-up was. I don't know what you're talking about. 
<laughs> All yeah. right. So, so what happened was, um, Ryan decided. Actually, this time was generous and got yeah. Because it's usually said it's my. It was my turn finally. Because it's you know, it's, you know, that's my con- contribution to the podcast is my soothing voice and intellect and the beer. Other than that, all the server and all that stuff, Ryan handles all that cost and stuff. But Ryan actually got the beer this time, and he was like, we're going to do this beer. We're going to do Beer Tree's Hello Pills. Well, that sounds great. So when I was over at his place on Sunday, he gives me the beers, and he's like, oh, here's your beers. And I wasn't thinking, and I thought he was just being kind and gave me two beers that he had, because he has a treasure trove of beers that he's been sitting on for forever that he hasn't had. It's like, oh, thank you. So I went home and drank them when I wasn't supposed to. Yep. Totally forgot. They were meant for the episode. We were meant to cover them. And now we don't have them. But we do but, have something else. But uh, we can kind of cover it briefly, though. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think of Beer Tree's aloe pills? Because uh, Beer Tree, which we've had on this podcast a couple of times, like two or three times, I think. Not very known for uh, pills. No, yeah, they they IPA. Yeah, they normally do IPAs, and then they sometimes do like sours. They have a line of sours that they've been doing, but they're not really sour well. IPAs. <laughs> yeah, sour IPAs. They're not really well known for any other type of beer. Um, so the pills kind of stood out to me, and it was obviously you know somewhat festive. German pills um, would be. Right in line with fall, and um, it even has hallow in the name, right? So, <laughs> so it it worked out perfectly. Um, I thought it was pretty good. It has a very um, a, a nice pilsner quality to it, with a, a with a slight hoppiness. Um, and I thought it it was pretty good. Um, not you know outstanding, not any not anything um, you know super impressive. But it was a quality beer, and I think I gave it like a 3.75 because it was tasty, it was drinkable and sessionable, and I thought it was a good, um, you know, Hilsner style that uh, hit all the all the marks of, of what a good Pilsner should be. So I thought it was, um, you know, pretty uh, solid, and, you know, I would I would get it again. In a four-pack, though, um, for like the price, six, like $16.99, um, a little expensive for a pills like that. Like I would have expected more of like a six pack pills, um, just because of the the lightness, the sessionability of that type of beer, um, and also at like four point five percent, you're certainly not going to be, you know, getting drunk off of one of those. So I w- I would have expected it maybe to come out in a six pack, which I guess probably beer tree just doesn't do. They just they just we do four packs, we don't do six packs, so. Two boutique for six pack. Yeah, what'd you think? I liked it a lot. Um, I gave it like a three seven five two. It was crisp. It was refreshing. It was like a good lawn mowing beer. Um, you know, nothing really too standouty from other uh, craft pilsners. Uh, you do get compared to like say if you're drinking like a Miller High Life, it's more, you know, slightly hoppier. It's got slightly more malt taste to it. I will say the one thing that was kind of a little eh about it was the fact that it does kind of have like a little bit more of an adjuncty taste to it. Mm-hmm. 
but overall I thought it was really good and you're right it is like you know kind of a shame that they sell it as a four pack because with a Pilsner again I understand like a lot of these craft brewers that do all these like double IPAs that they're selling they're selling four packs of them not six packs but with stuff like that they really should you know do six packs with because that's kind of standard for like those such types of beers yeah yep all right, so on to the beer that we have on the show today. You picked up this one, and it is right in line with what we've covered previously. We kind of do we've, – we've done a lot in the series on this one, actually, uh, from Amagang. And Amagang has been, you know, doing this – they just call it Amagang series, which, you know, I don't – like a self-titled series like that. I don't – like, isn't it kind of, you know, specified that Amagang, you would be doing – a series of beers under Amagang's name. I don't know. But they call it the Amagang series. And they're somewhat of a step away from their normal output, which is Belgian style beers. Um, and, the and you know, they, they've been doing a series of different types of beers, uh, some collaborations in this, um, some in the Neon series of um, New England style IPAs. But the one that we, that Martin got today uh, it's not a New England style IPA, which is refreshing because I have really not had many IPAs that do not fall into the New England or hazy style um, recently. Like you know, it's been a it's been a while since I've had a regular standard like West Coast type IPA. Uh, but that's what this one is, even though the name of it is Hop State, New York. So it's a uh, dry hopped IPA in the west coast style and when i say west coast i basically just mean it's not a new england new england hazy style ipa um but it's using all new york hops in its uh preparation so helpfully amagang lists all the hops on the can so there's chinook in here and we've got some um let's see rakua Rakao. Uh, I think there's some Cascade in here. And uh, it, so what ends up, what, what, it, what it really comes down to is it's a really solid West Coast style IPA. I think it has a little bit of dankness to it and it's extremely drinkable. Very refreshing. Um, I like it a lot. I, I don't know if it's just you know not having a, one of these types of IPAs recently you know in the very near past but it's really hitting me quite nicely and now i'm like kind of craving that more people start coming out with regular style IPAs instead of hazy IPAs what did, what did what did you think about the hop state new york IPA i like it it's a nice uh, callback to four IPAs got crazy and out of hand. You know, it's your nice traditional West Coast style IPA. Um, makes me, uh, I mean, I'm not comparing, saying it's exactly like a nice Sierra Nevada IPA. But that's what like kind of makes you feel like, oh, like you're having a torpedo for the first time in like seven years because... Have you seen a torpedo since in seven years? It's kind of, you know, kind of rare these days. But it is nice. I enjoy it. Um, um, yeah, you summed it up great. I don't really care 
You know, I mean, it's novel. Like, oh, they use New York State, like, grown malt and barley and uh, hops. But I don't really give a shit. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not going to, like, move me one way or the other. It's just going to be like, is it a good West Coast IPA? It's a very good West Coast IPA. You know, again, like I said, I'm not, we're not sommeliers on this show. You know, breaking down. Like, if you were to, like, oh, here's a... New York grown Chinook and like your standard Chinook from Southern California. What, what what does the soil do for the hop and like how does it change its profile? You're not gonna fucking know. So, you know, it's you know, like again, it's like, oh that's nice and novel, but at the same time, I don't you know. It's not gonna sway me. Yeah. It's 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 solid and I don't know if I notice particularly the type of hop that's in there, but it's nice to support New York growers. What the hell's a nugget hop? Nugget hop. It's a nugget. Whatever it is, it's tasty. And the hops that they use, congratulations, New York, you pr- produce quality hops. Yeah, it's the same thing with like Browns that has like their Browns has their like, you know, New York grown beer. Yeah, I don't give a shit. As long as it tastes good, right? Yeah. Yep. You know. I mean, I like it in the sense of, like, what it does for, like, business. Like, you know, making it smaller and more, you know, co-op-y. But other than that, you know, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. But I will say, as we keep prefacing every time we do one of these fucking Alma Gang IPAs, we need to stop calling them a Belgian beer maker because uh, their IPAs are, like, list is just as long as their Belgian beer list now. Yeah, really. It's, I mean, they're not. Yeah, they're not making too many Belgian style beers anymore. Like we need to, like we need to go down to Cooperstown and tell them, like, hey, what about the Belgian pale ale? Remember that? Remember how good that, that was? I do. Oh. Do it again. Some. All right. So, moving on to our movie of choice for today: body bags. No, get Body bags. Stop. I'm not putting John Carpenter's name on it because it should be John Carpenter and Toby Hooper's body bags. It's on the fucking poster. <laughs> John Carpenter's body bags. The film opens up with the credit sequence saying, John Carpenter's presents John Carpenter's <laughs> body bags. John Carpenter in John Carpenter presents yes. John Carpenter's body bags. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Written by some other guys, but John Carpenter helped. Well, those guys who wrote the film, they're not the ones making, you know. They don't have the cachet. Yeah. All right, so Body Bags. Like we said, it's going to be a TV movie. Uh, It's meant to start off an anthology series for Showtime. Never ended up happening. How do you like that nice... uh Metro uh, Goldwyn Mayer, but instead of a lion, it's John Carpenter playing uh, uh, Leatherface with a chainsaw at the beginning. Yeah, it's great. Love it. I love all of the nods because Body Bags has a lot of nods. It is a very horror film um, buffs movie, right? Like it, it has a lot of trivia, has a lot of appearances, uh, lots of references to Carpenter's movies along with 
other movies, other horror movies. It's a great, um, you know, ode to the horror genre. And I don't know if this really needs to be said, but it's interesting to note that on um, the Body Bags IMDb page, there is a mention on the trivia that the the film has three different stories that are all different parts of the horror genre, which is kind of, you know, overstated, I think. But it's it's funny to, to me that they, they thought to mention that like it's some sort of trivia. Like, the first story is a slasher. The second, mo- second story is black comedy. And the third movie is more regular horror. It's, you know, a little oh. overstated, but... Mm, yeah, so. But I like that they did that. But anyway, Body Bags, um, the anthology itself is, like most anthologies, is bookended by um, a little wraparound storyline. And the wraparound story involves John Carpenter. And uh, supposedly he spent like two or three hours in a makeup chair to get ready for his appearance because he's playing a coroner type person who is clearly, you know, kind of rotting away. Um, and is meant to be like, you know, like, like the Crypt Keeper in some ways, um, you know, introducing the stories, dropping kind of corny, cheesy one-liners and puns and things like that, uh, and doing a fantastic job at it, I might add. Um, Carpenter is... He's he's better than the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. He's not really well known for being like, uh, uh, you know person that is really like personable you know especially in his later years um especially in interviews and things like that he's he's kind of a guy that will say exactly what's on his mind and he doesn't really give a shit about appearances at this point but in body bags he really seems like he's having a lot of fun in his own movie um which you don't really get to see a whole lot from him so it is a really good role for him and i think he did a good job with it He's literally the living and like if he was playing like Beetle, as we said before the podcast, he's like Beetlejuice adjacent, and it's fucking great. Like I want a universe where Tim Burton has John Carpenter as Beetlejuice instead of Michael Keaton. Yeah, I mean it. It it is really reminiscent of Beetlejuice. Um, you know, from the makeup effects to how Carpenter delivers lines, it's a very Beetlejuice type um, scenario. But so, what do you think about this as being a rap, like a wraparound type of storyline? Because there's more to uh, to the whole wraparound than immediately seems apparent. Because um, at first, it almost seems like it's just like a crypt keeper type introduction to each story. But at the end, there is actually a somewhat of a wraparound to finish out the actual um, coroner segments. Um, what, what did you think about that? I think it's good. I think it worked out well for the film. I don't think it'd work as a TV concept unless you're taking John Carpenter and then putting him in different kind of spooky situations. Like maybe the next episode you would have him as like a, say, a grave digger or something. Sure, yeah. Yeah, the coroner part can't really work. Like you can't just keep saying like, oh, we've got another body here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, You know, so like that, that bit is what kind of stunts it's potential for a TV series, you know, him being like, oh, because the, the whole premise of why is it called body bags? He's like, oh, all these people who died natural causes. Ugh, that's boring. Ooh, what do we have here? Yeah. Body bag, you know? 
body bags have interesting stories, you know? So that's a great premise for the film. If it were to be, like, say, as you said, like on the actual TV as an anthology, you'd have to move them around to, like, different things to, like, you know. I think that would be a really good idea, though. You're right, because, you know, yeah, you have him as a coroner in the movie. Can't really work all the time. So maybe in one episode, you have him as, like, a detective on scene at a crime scene, and you have him as a grave digger. And you have, yeah, I think that would have been, you know, actually. A really interesting idea. Yeah. I think, though, there was, you know, if they were to stick with the body bags approach of just having him be a coroner, um, you know, Tales from the Crypt kind of worked out like that because, you know, the Crypt Keeper doesn't really move around. He stays in the crypt and is, they kind of ultimately. I was say, they dressed him up, like, when it came to, like, certain situations. You know? Yeah. And, and more than that, it was almost like the Crypt Keeper was delivering stories in his storybook. So, you know, it, it wasn't the same as the body bags approach, which seems to, like, literally be looking at, you know, the types of bodies that they've got in the morgue. So, I, you know, it's... I, I think you're right. It wouldn't succeed outside of a movie. Um, there just wouldn't be enough material to do constantly um, as a wraparound approach to each episode. But if they moved him around a bit, I think that would have been really successful and interesting to do. And like I said, as we you said, Carpenter is a delight. He's so fucking hilarious in this. Every line, like that comes, like that's like cheesy as shit. He does so well, and just like he eats it up. And like it's like the most charismatic I've ever seen the man. I never knew he right. had such range. Yeah, you know, because I I know you saw him live on stage like when he was doing his tour back in like 2017 in Syracuse. I guarantee the man was like Bob Dylan, just standing there playing his fucking piano and like. I don't give a shit. Playing the song. I didn't write the song. It's the thing's song, but here I am playing the thing song. And it's just like, here's my son. Son. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say he was super charismatic. You know, he talked a little bit, but um, like I said, in interviews, and especially in his later life and, and how he comes across, he really doesn't seem to care too much, one, about what people think about what he did. Um, you know, as uh, creating movies two, he doesn't really care to reminisce too much about his older movies. Uh, and three, he, he almost seems like he's, you know, kind of resigned himself to, uh, not working on film anymore and just writing music and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, you're right. I think he is the most charismatic that we've seen him and it works really well for the movie. Uh, I think it really gets you pumped up to see each of the episodes in the anthology, um, and this is – and we covered anthologies. We covered anthologies back in Anthalloween a few years ago. Um, so we're kind of well-versed in covering some of the anthology elements. Um, but I think this one is one of the more successful because you, you do have to be careful with how you do the framing story. You can't, for, for one thing, it's not really successful to just present three movies or three stories um, and not give an introduction because then it just feels like you have three disparate – things going on and there's no real reason why so you do need a framing story in some capacity um, to put things all together to make a theme um, but then you can also be a little bit too um, blase with how you set up that approach to the framing story where it almost seems like that framing story was super unnecessary like you just have a narrator giving you an introduction to each storyline and you don't really need that because you can get it right from the plot. So you do have to be creative in how you do the setup. And I think Body Bags does it really well. Um, I don't think it would be the same film, 
you know, the the stories would still be pretty good, but I don't think it would be the same film without having Carpenter as the lead in for all of them. No, because I can't honestly imagine at this point anyone else being in that role. Yeah, I mean, like, cause, like he does such a damn like I said, he does such a damn good job. Yep. And you know, it almost seems like somebody was just like Toby Hooper was there pointing a camera, and he's just fucking fucking around on the set, like, "Hey, look at this! Formaldehyde. I need a drink." Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, like you know. Yep. Just uh, because like, I, I was saying, like outside the head, it, it almost have to be like, all right, it's Keaton and Keaton's doing, you know, Beetlejuice. Because I honestly can't think of any, like, you know, anybody else really. At least that's in this film to kind of play that role. Yep. It would maybe Sam Raimi, but I mean, that's about it. So uh, let's let's go to the the first segment in this uh, this anthology. So the first one is called the Gas Station, and I think it's to me. I'll start off by saying I think it's probably the simplest of the the stories in this anthology. It is. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I want to say it, but so you know how Tales from the Crypt and EC Comics type stories, they always have like the revenge plot. There's always some element of black comedy to it, and there's always a little bit of a twist at the end that um, kind of changes around how you expected the episode to turn out. There's always like some somewhat of a. It's almost like an Aesop's Fables of horror. You have like a moralistic um, element to each of the storylines. Because most of the time, the the protagonists are kind of the people that you're rooting against. Um, so there's a moral element to it. Um, I would say that in the gas station, that this particular segment is kind of missing all of that. It doesn't really have a twist to it. It doesn't really have um, a moralistic element to it. And it doesn't really have black comedy. It is pretty much a standard slasher style uh, segment that doesn't really surprise. I don't know. Does that make sense? Did you feel the same way? No, it's just a very standard, you know, slasher bit. But I think it works really well. It's, you know, you're right. There's no, like, fable because, um, like, a Aesop's Tale, like, you know, at the end of it, kind of like the... Like creep show kind of had. It's just kind of like your gen- your generic. Here's like a a situation where there's a killer and you gotta try to avoid the killer. Which makes sense because the whole the whole thing's set in Haddonfield, which there's you know one of your first uh, of many horror references in this film. But I think it works really well. I actually like this. It's one of my. Fa- I probably would say this is my second favorite. Uh, second of the favorite uh, stories in this film. Hmm. It's simple, but I think it works really well. And I think it's... I like the premise. I think it's interesting. Yeah, this I would say this one was probably my least favorite. It's, it's a good premise. It's fine. I just think it was maybe a little bit too simplistic in its approach. Um, I didn't... So, so the I guess the only thing that I really did like is the, um, the multiple appearances here. So we get Wes Craven... Uh, who shows up and the whole idea is that this woman who's working at the gas station she's kind of doing this on a night shift she's doing it because she needs money she's studying uh, at university um, 
And the idea is that, you know, you have a woman working a night shift at a gas station that's pretty deserted. And, you know, at that point, you don't really know who's going to show up at the gas station. You know, is there, is it going to be fine? Is there a killer on the loose? Is there just some wackos that are showing up? And so Carpenter kind of plays. Well, we already heard on the radio. There is yeah. a killer on the there, yeah, it's almost like the urban legend type thing too from from urban legend where you you're hearing like there's a killer on the loose around here. Well, not uh, like that, it also ties into like could it be Michael? Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Know, they tie they tie the whole idea like this, you're in Hanfield and like a kill a serial killer just killed a girl poor girl behind a mall like ooh. Are we going to see Michael Myers? You're not. But I mean again, it's a nice little nod. And then out of all of the films I, I i mean of all the stories this has the most like uh most cameos in it and it's great seeing Wes craven show up as like a disheveled you know goofball looking for to buy a pack of smokes in his you know suit just he looks great with his like you know little pocket and his like jacket all folded out and it's like i need a pack of smokes it's only 250 you know yeah. how much a pack of smokes costs now in upstate New York? It's twelve bucks. Gas is cheap there too. It's like a dollar four yeah, dollar thirty four. It's great. What a time to live in. But also you're also in a hut that you have to use like a little slide you know, you're sitting in and they pay you and you gotta slide it open and slide it back, you know, so it's a dangerous neighborhood at Hanfield. Yeah, I mean so I like the idea and I like the the lead up. I like the multiple kind of um, fake outs that it has. So you and, and that in itself is able. It allows them to bring in a whole lot of different people to this to this segment too. Like you get um, Peter Jason, who um, we should should seem fairly familiar to us because he was uh, just in um, another one of. He's, it, actually, actually, he's 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 in. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably my son throwing some shit down the stairs. Um, he's in quite a few uh, Carpenter films. Um, a lot of, a lot yeah, of them. Yeah. Late 80s, early 90s. Yep, you know? exactly. L- lots of them. Um, you know, so, and so you get that. He, he pulls up in a convertible and is hilariously, uh, <laughs> you know, basically very personable and also somewhat drunk. And um, it's a great. Is, he's credited at playing a gent. Gent, oh, nice. But uh, he's ba- he basically like a drunk um, Brian Dennehy in this. Yeah. Um, you get uh, Sam Raimi who shows up here for real quick. Blink and you miss it. Yeah. Um, and uh, we mentioned Wes Craven. You've got David Naughton here. Um, and then you've got Robert Carradine as our the ultimate killer. Uh, that's um, you know, kind of hidden till the very end. Um, but you've got a lot of faces here. The, the, the segment makes a lot of work out of, um, you know, giving little trivia pieces and, and Easter eggs and various people that are involved. I just feel like, um, it's a little bit too standard of a slasher for me. Um, but I get the appeal. I just, um, it, it wasn't my favorite. However, I do have to say, I love the overblown, um, effect when Bill dies underneath the car. When the jet, when it it's being lowered on the jack, and all of a sudden there's like an explosion of blood that just shoots out from from underneath the car. 
It's a great, great effect. Yeah, it's a great effect. And it's also nicely like pink and foamy. I love that. Nice pink foamy blood. It was in the lungs apparently. No, I like it. I like I said, it's not like anything like outstanding, but it's also like like just like a kind of like a standard Are You Afraid of the Dark episode where it's just like, okay, like, you know, it's like a premise that we've done before with some new players and a slight twist. I think it works well. And I also think the gas station too pays like a nice little homage to Christine. You know, aesthetically. Looks a lot kind of like Christine, the garage and Christine. Yep. Yep. Um, Would have been cool to see, you know, like West, I mean, Sam Raimi be like the killer instead of the dead body. It would be. Yeah. But. All right. So, uh, segment two is titled Hair. And this one is probably my favorite of the three. Uh, it stars Stacy Keach. It's my least favorite. Oh, it's your least favorite. All right. So it stars Stacy Keach, and it does take on more of a like a black comedy uh, element to this uh, episode. It, it's really not too Stop. horror at all. Stop saying Stacy Keach is in this. Stacy Keach. No, he's not in this. That's Mike Lindell, <laughs> and that's why Mike Lindell is so upset. Because he's losing his hair. He's losing his hair. Is my pillow? I have one, unfortunately. Not that comfortable. <laughs> hey, you better watch out. We're gonna get a lawsuit here, like a libel lawsuit. And not only that, he's also still trying. Ten months after the fact, trying to find the corruption and illegal voting that took place during the last election. He says he's got the evidence. He just can't release it yet. You know. Let's hope, hold out hope he's, he found the truth. But yeah, Mike Lindell in this film, he has no hair. He wants to grow hair. Yeah, it's a pretty, again, it's a pretty simple premise. However, I do like the black comedy here. I, and I like the way that it plays out because it is a standard obsession story. But I think Stacey Keach is a really good good uh, person for this role. And he's a good sport about it, too. Um I think I, I'm just drawn to the personalization that he, he does here um, and, you know, th- the way that you can kind of get sucked into his character, especially at the beginning where he's he's sort of like become obsessed with, with losing his hair uh, and he's trying to comb it over in different varieties. He's not even that bald, but not only that, I mean, the fact that he's so obsessed about while well, he's got Sheena, Sheena Easton who's like... 15, 20 years younger than him. Like, yeah, I, I don't care what you look like. Just hand me the bottle of wine and I'll suck your dick. <laughs> A bit, yeah. Effectively, yeah, that's what she's doing. Yo, yeah. Like, so she's showing up in various skimpy outfits. Listen, I won't say, like, this is my least favorite story of the bunch. But, however, I'm not. Stacy Keach is great. You're right. He is great in this. And he do, does the well, the role really well. I actually, I think everyone in this is really great. Like from the good doctor and the nurse, Sheena Easton, they do a great job. Everyone does a great job at this. I just think it kind of drags on a little too long, and then I like the twist at the end. Well, I mean, like getting there seems 
needs to take a fucking eternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it does take a little while. My my favorite parts of it were certainly the beginning of it where he's really getting obsessed with his hair and does a lot of different things to try to fix that. Um, Trump comb over. <laughs> the Trump comb over, uh, getting like all different kinds of like sprays and stuff, uh, visiting the, uh, the Fabio. hairdresser. Yeah. The Fabio hairdresser who's like, just embrace it. Um, those are probably my favorite your, your, elements. Your, your head is going to look like a Christmas tree lot in January. But I agree with what you're saying. Um, with the, uh, the running a little too long, um, once you get to the point where he actually gets the hair, where he does the hair transplant and it grows, um, the the length that it takes to go through like the sickness that he's experiencing, I think that's a little – it takes a little too long. Um, CGI is awful. Right, with the with the worms. the Yeah. The worms are not the best part of this. And um, this one also suffers from – a very common anthology story issue where there's no real, there's not really a good resolution here. Uh, it's sort of feels like a cop out, almost feels somewhat lazy, um, with the way that it ends where it's just, uh, a reveal that, yeah, um, they're aliens and they're taking over his body as a host. And that's about it. And that's kind of where it ends. It feels like abrupt and not, um, I don't know, just not as well thought out as it could be. Which I do, I like. I, said, I do like the twist at the end that like the, the, it's aliens that feed off human brains. It's the only sustenance they can find on Earth, <laughs> and they're targeting man's vanity to get that. Which I think is a which ends up being like a nice little twist. But like I said, it takes forever to get there. Though the it does have some nice little lines throughout this, like the the whole. And this, my politics are showing here, but when they're showing like the first, like this is what your hair could look like. How about this hairstyle? You know, and it's like a short crop cut, and like we call this the modern Republican. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then like, no, no, how about that? No, how about the military look? No, no. Then then like when he gets the hair, it's like it's the stallion. And he's like, oh, that's what I want. I mean, all they needed to have is, like, him in his youth with, like, long hair, like, showing, like, you know, flashbacks of him in, like, his hot con- convertible, like, driving with his long hair blowing in the wind to make you feel like, yeah, Stacey Keats used to look like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you you have to admit, though, that, you know, if you had Sheena Easton there, I don't know if I would be concerned with my hair like that. But I, I do understand the obsession. I think that's one thing that resonates from this episode that everybody can relate to is because it does have like a human element to it in that, you know, it doesn't like literally everyone else is saying, you know what? The hair doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't, no one really cares if you are somewhat balding or not. Um, the only person that really cares about it is you. Yeah. We get, like I said, we get that from right from the get go. Fucking Sheena Easton's like, however, there is that great part where he grows the Fabio hair out. And then she's like, Oh, take me. Like she's she's like, needs to be ravaged right like she was like yeah i guess you're okay without hair but when you've got a lot of hair oh man you know that that really gets me going i feel like most women would be like there's too much going on now now i'm getting hair in my mouth and oh yeah i i don't know that especially like i don't know if like i guess that was a thing back then but i don't think many people are really you know 
looking for people to have a head of hair like that. That's probably why the man bun came into style because like men tame it, yeah, grew their hair out too long and they're like, no, no, fucking put that back in like a ball. Like I don't need that. Yeah, tame tame that thing. Yeah, I I I mean I uh, yeah. So I I I I like it. I I understand the obsession element to it, and it's I think it's it's quite fun. But I do think it runs a little bit long. You're right, and um, you know it doesn't have a great resolution at the end. Um, but it has a lot of great, great elements to it. And I, uh, I'm a pretty big fan of this one, even though it's not really, you know, significantly horror related. David Warner is great as Dr. Locke, which by the way, great pun for a name. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I bought the company. Yeah. It works so well. I bought the company, which like fits with that whole like 80, late eight, like, you know, eighties, early nineties, like, you know, you know, Reagan commercialism, Mm -hmm. you know, that fits well with like, you know, the treatment works so well. I bought the company. I like too that like, here's how you can look. He has to put a VHS into a fucking machine. (laughs) 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 You know, it's just like, it's, it's funny now just because it's like, if you had people watching it today that aren't, you know, that are younger than 24, they'd be like, what the fuck is he doing? You know? Oh, he's popping a VHS in. <laughs> All right, and then how about the last one? Um, the one the that Eye. Is not directed by John Carpenter. Yep, the only one. This one's done by Toby Hooper. Yep, it's called The Eye, and it stars none other than Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. And Looking to, great. Yeah, to be honest with you. He looks about 48 years old in this one, even though he wouldn't have been. See, you know, that's awful for you to say that because we are men who wear mustaches. It's true. And and you're saying this man looks old because he had a beautiful mustache. I don't I don't know why, but he does. He just he looks it, the the mustache ages him here. And I'll be honest with you, that opening scene where, you know, he's playing baseball and he, they're an independent league, and they're talking about him getting signed. I'm thinking this man's ready for retirement. He's he's not, he's not getting signed to a I major league. Like, I just like the fact they're like, oh yeah, you know, Mark, you slugger, you you're gonna be a great pinch a pinch hitter for the San Francisco Giants. And he's you're like, oh stop, and you're like seeing him next to some guy who's like taller and more muscular than him, and he's just like this skinny. <laughs> <laughs> You know, not ripped guy at all. You're like, oh yeah, that's gonna be our pinch hitter right there. You know, Mark Hamill when he comes in, he hits homers. And it's like you look at him; he's wearing his like pants up to like his titties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just. But then he looks great with it. I love, I love him with the mustache, and he looks so great with the mustache. No, I mean it, it, it does look like, good. It's 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 definitely uh, just it just gives him age for sure. You know, at this point he would have been about 42, 42? I don't think so. Yeah, born in 1951. Uh-huh. So he would he would have been about 42. Um but he still just yeah, the the I mean the film makes him out to be younger. Uh he's he's uh Currently, well, he doesn't know it, but his wife's going to deliver him news that they're having a baby. 
and they're, you know, seem like they're fairly newlywed. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's playing ball and hoping to get signed. So he's, he's certainly probably not in his 40s, meant to be in his 40s in this segment. I, I, I See, I, and that I would disagree. I think he's supposed to be not like in his 40s, but a little bit young. I Maybe, mean, like yeah. Like 30s because he's playing independent ball. They say, like, you know, like, oh, you're going to be signed by the Giants anytime. He's like, oh, I've heard that before. So it's like, you know, he's like he's been playing independent ball for a long time. He's mm-hmm. been, you know, signed by a major league team. So maybe, like, it's supposed to be, like, Mid thirties, early thirties, like you know, especially in the nineties, that's like definitely the twilight of your career. So it would be like last, you know, last call for him. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, that that could be. But uh, so this damn handsome. <laughs> this one is uh, an interesting uh, segment. I I I think it works pretty well. It's not super, you know, like this at this point. It had, the story about having a like a um, transplanted part uh, that that causes the uh, transplant um, recipient to have you know evil thoughts, things like that. Uh, it's not super um, you know original at this point, but I think it works in this film because there's the characterization and um, the basically the like the gorier elements to it that. You know, it's not just a hand, a severed hand that, you know, Mark Hamill's getting. It's an eye. Which, by the way, first off, let's talk about how he gets into this accent. It's rainy. He's like Jack Frost. He's like, again, mm. back to Michael Keaton. He's coming home from the bad weather. And then a deer stand, is standing in the fucking middle of the road. Oh, no, not only that, but he's reaching... For a cassette tape. Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> the best part of the whole bit is he's got, I don't know if your dad had, which your dad was a DJ, so I imagine he did, but your dad reaching down for a fucking cassette, which I couldn't see exactly what cassette he's pawing at, but he had the old, like, flat, you know, flap open suitcase of cassettes, which yep. <laughs> my dad also owned yep. and had for mm-hmm. all the wonderful cassettes that he had, because... He also worked at the Universal plant that was in Bloversville, but that's neither here nor there. But, you know, just like that whole bit is just hilarious to me. Just, you know, him sitting down like, hold on, let me grab. What do I got down here? I got a Bachman Turner Overdrive. No, no, no. Uh, 38 Special. No, no. Looking for that Cheap Trick cassette. Where? I, I found it. And then right into a tree. Yep. Yeah. This, it it's... Cra- crashes that Chevelle, which apparently has no airbags because, um... <laughs> you don't see an airbag. You just see a shard of glass in his eye. Yeah, it's it's the reaching for the cassette that got me. Which I loved. It's hilarious. I loved it. But yeah, he gets a pretty gruesome eye injury where, you know, he's not really affected by the crash except for this one gigantic tree branch that's lodged in his eye. And I like... Glass. It looked like glass. Yeah, maybe it was glass. Maybe it was a glass shard. Um, and I love the the bystanders that come along and they're like, Jesus Christ, and just walk away. <laughs> they just walk away. He's like st- sitting there with a big piece of glass in his eye. And they're like, oh, let's help him out. Let's, let's. John Candy's brother shows yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're like, let's just let's, his, let's help him out. His, doesn't put his four ways on or nothing that like, oh, shit, there's something up here. 
this park night. Oh fuck! And you just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ! And then walk away, and then you don't really get anything out. And then he wakes up in the hospital. But yeah, Roger Corbin. <laughs> I, I love that. That was a great part. That the the onlookers are just like, oh wow, this is way too intense for me to handle. I'm I'm out of here. <laughs> but anyway, so they. Just they, imagine where they ha- where did they have to go to get a hold of the cops? It's 1993. There's no they don't have cell phones. Yeah, they had like drive two miles down the road to a to a gas station and go to a payphone. Absolutely. So he's so the biggest thing he's concerned with is can he can he uh, still hit? Can he still uh, play ball? Well, he obviously can't feel because. Uh, his dream in this uh, episode is to be a fuck, p- make the team so he can pinch hit in the ninth inning to win yeah. the game. So l- luckily, he has modest goals in life. Like you know, it's not like your dad telling you, Ryan. Listen, you got some heat back there, son. Put some effort to it. <laughs> you can be a starting pitcher for the New York Yankees. It's like your dad saying, "Son, middle relief makes good enough money." You can be middle relief on the Pittsburgh Pirates if you just believe hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> and that's his goal in life, which is admirable. But, I mean, uh, it's just so fucking funny. <laughs> so they do a pretty good job on this eye surgery. They re- they basically they take an eye, they replace it. They take an eye in the, in the surgeon's uh, operating room. And they put it in like a cocktail glass with ice. They put it on ice. Cool ice. Yeah. It's like a good treatment for that eye. And they replace it. Unfortunately, it doesn't match Mark Hamill's beautiful blue. No, they turned him into Oscar von Royenthal from Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Yeah. They, uh, so it's a brown and blue eye. And he starts to find that he's starting to get like these flashes of, uh, of, Evil. yeah, of, of, like snippets of of murders and and uh naked women that have uh been buried in the backyard and he finds out that oh yeah um they didn't mention this side effect but i got an eye from a serial killer no big deal the best part about that is you got uh John Agar sitting there being the guy that's like, we can do this surgery. Most people don't think it's going to work, but uh, I believe it's going to work. And then Roger Corman's just standing there for no reason just to be like, I'm also a doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and he's basically, well, they also say too, that, so the guy who's doing the surgery is like, yeah, um, we have differing opinions and Roger Corman's just like, yeah, I don't, it's not going to work. And then, like, when Mark Hamill asks him, like, well, what happens if it doesn't work? Then we'll have to take your eye out, and then we're back to square one. <laughs> which which I love. That kind of honesty you don't usually see in your, your medical team. So Yeah, we just, <laughs> just remove it again. No problem. So, like I said, this isn't one, you know, this isn't a episode that I think is really original. Um but I think it works out pretty well. And you've got we – we forgot to mention we've got Twiggy as Mark Hamill's uh, wife who is supremely religious. Actually, at the time that Mark Hamill's receiving the eye transplant, she's being read a segment from the Bible 
by a priest for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what exactly that's going to do, but she's being read the Bible. Symbolism. Symbolism. And uh, so they're very religious and uh, they actually talk about how is this God's plan? Is it, you know, is it okay that they're accepting an eye from a dead person? Um, yada, well, yada, yada. That, Mark Hamill puts on a great Southern accent in this film, in this bit. Like, is it God's plan? I love how he like, he like forgets half the time whether or not he's supposed to be using the accent. Yeah, yeah, it's because not consistent for it's sure. It's not consistent whether with him or him being possessed, you know, because he uses it like sometimes when he's himself, and other times when he's being possessed, and then you know he doesn't use it, so it's not very consistent. But it's a delight listening to him being like, "Him, hey, what the hell's going on here?" <laughs> oh God. So, um, was this one your favorite, not favorite? It's my favorite. Your favorite. It's my favorite. One, because Mark Hamill, this is, he's a delight, as always. He looks great with that mustache. I like the premise of it. You're right, just like everything else in this film. It's not original, because we've seen, like, bot, like possession stories all the time. But I kind of like how far they take it, especially like just because like when we get to the whole, you know, some of the possession stuff, it goes like further than like what you'd expect, like him trying to rape his wife. Not saying that's a good thing, but the fact that they were willing to kind of go there and be like, you know, show ass naked Mark Hamill. You know, it's kind of like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it does go far. Yeah. And I think the effect the effect with the eye, you know, his eye really good. I think everyone Twiggy's great in this is his wife. She's, you know, she does come across as very compassionate and loving to him. I like the whole se- like the setup of her being pregnant and then like, you know, dealing with the fallout. I like it was really funny when, like, she gets him a gift and it's a fucking crib for him to make. That's hilarious. <laughs> Yo, um, you know, I can, I, you know, being him being like, well, what the hell is this supposed to be? Oh, we're pregnant? Oh, and she's like, well, open the gift. And he's like, I thought this was supposed to be for me. It's a crib. And she's like, yeah, so you can put it together. That's really funny. I think it's, re- like I said, I think it's really good. I think it's, like, Easily the most like the most bold and daring of them all. Like you said, I'm not like congratulating the f- it for having naked ass Mark Campbell trying to rape somebody, but it's also it's doing mo- something different. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's enjoyable. I think it's fun. This was one of the ones that I thought was maybe a little bit too long. Um, I thought it was a little long-winded at times where you know it didn't really get to the to the heart of it and it kind of like all of the different um um like flashes like kind of took a little too long i wish they maybe cut a little bit but other than that i thought it was pretty good and uh fun it has you know it has a little black humor to it. it has um it has a little uh 
horror to it and it has kind of like a little bit of everything. So it's kind of a combination of the two stories that came before it, um, which I think is an interesting way to go about doing a three film anthology. All right. So uh, let's see. We've covered all three of the films. Was there anything else we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about? Wrap up. Yeah, in the end we get a nice cameo from Tom Arnold. Well, hold on, hold on. Let's not get too far in the beat. <laughs> so, w- what'd you think of the whole? Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> he does that a couple times actually. I know, but it's really funny at the end where he's like, "Like, well, that's our stories for today." Then you hear like footsteps coming down, and you see footsteps coming down, like doctors and scrubs, and John Carpenter's like, "Shit." Gotta go. And then he takes his like yeah, it's, his it's, shirt off and he, so he's like uh, so it's supposed to be somebody with a wound and you get Tom Arnold and Toby Hooper show up as the actual morticians and uh they start cutting into Carpenter and he's making faces throughout the entire thing like whoa, whoa. Yeah, it's uh you know it like there's that nice twist to it at the end. I mean, I think you pretty much know that he's probably a dead body himself because of the makeup effects and everything, but it's still a good um, transition. And I do like, you know, how Carpenter does that. And you get Tom Arnold and, and Toby Hooper coming in and uh, doing the actual uh, autopsy and Toby Hooper running away because it's too disgusting. <laughs> no, he needs a cup of coffee. Yeah, sure. <laughs> He's disgusted by it. Why do you get, what do you got against Toby Hooper? Rest in peace. But I just am curious how how and why they got Tom Arnold. Again, very big at the time. No, I know he was very big, but just, you know, what was the what was the appeal to grab him? Probably, again, he's either big or maybe he knew fucking uh, Toby Hooper or John Carpenter at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good ending to the to the wraparound. Which, that would have been really cool with talking about our whole Carpenter and different scenarios as, as the, what he was doing. Would be cool to see every episode end with him being like, uh-oh, like, you know. Oh, yeah, and have to, like, hightail it out of there. Grave digger and, you know, find out he's actually a grave robber, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I think that'd be pretty funny. Well, we should have written some uh, some episodes of Body Bags then, huh? Well, we were four years old. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably wouldn't have worked out. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um. All right. So. I got a rating for it. Okay. Out of 10 Mark Hamill mustaches. Okay. What do you give Body Bags? Uh, I would give it a 7.5 out of 10. I thought it was a a much more enjoyable film than I was expecting. Um, fun, uh, humorous has uh, nice horror elements to it. And obviously a lot of, um, Easter eggs and, and references, uh, to both Carpenter's films and, and films outside of his, uh, canon and, um, lots of appearances from big people. Uh, it is a, Tales from the Crypt-esque 
um, film, but it you know it doesn't actually adhere to the same uh, standards that Tales from the Crypt uses. Although you know if you're familiar with Tales from the Dark Side or like I mentioned, monsters from the '90s, it's not as hokey as those were. So it's kind of like in a, a nice middle ground between the two. Um, and the, of the three, as I said, I think my favorite is Hair, um, with the eye a close second, and then uh, the gas station third. Uh, but I think all of them are successful in their own ways. Um, and I would say over the 90 minutes, it really kept my interest the whole time. And I think a large part of that is because of Carpenter's um, introductions to each of the stories. If we didn't have that, I don't know that it w- the film would have been as successful. So um, I think that really helps to drive and keep the the viewer engaged. So 7.5 out of 10, uh, definitely... Uh, I guess, uh, pleasantly surprised with this one. What would you give it? Wow. What did you steal my rating? Seven oh, and a half. Oh, okay. It's, um, I was not expecting this to be as enjoyable as it was. I didn't really know, as, even though we are both pretty big John Carpenter fans, never a film that's ever crossed our paths, obviously, because it's a Showtime exclusive. It's not anything that ever popped up on TV. Um, I think Carpenter, as the keeper of the morgue, he's the absolute main reason to watch this, whether you find the stories in this film to be good or bad, indifferent, doesn't matter. Him, his little interstitials alone, are a delight. And he's hilarious. And he's the most charismatic you'll ever see the man. I think Eyes, my favorite story, then the gas station and the hair... Yeah, they're all very generic. As if you if you listen to our Halloween series, they're all stories with the same kind of bent that we you've heard before. But I think with I, Mark Hamill does a great job, and is a delight, and his acting in it is great. I think with hair, Stacy Keach, as you said, very great. Adds a lot to it. It's a nice you know, black comedy that's going on there. And with Gas Station, with all the little cameos and nods to other things, makes it for an enjoyable enough uh, watch. The fact that they're all just 30-minute little pieces makes it an enjoyable, easy watch. Seven and a half. Wasn't expecting this to be as good as it was. But it was very good. I'd probably watch, definitely watch it again. Just because, again, like I said, John Carpenter, his presence as is very good. Yeah, definitely. I would definitely give this another watch. Um, like I said, was surprised by it, and I wish that I had seen it before because it is a quality movie, and I uh, hope to see it again at some point. Probably will revisit it now that I know that it's actually a pretty good movie. All right, so next week on So Creepy, It's Carpenter, I know what it is this time. It's Village of the Damned. So interesting things to talk about with Village of the Damned. Uh, Quite notably, Village of the Damned was not a movie that was really John Carpenter's pick to do. He kind of was like put on it, (laughs) and he kind of was, you know... Just like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll direct it, but it's not really one that he 
particularly chose to do. So um, I think we'll see that. The notable thing about Village of the Damned, of course, is that Kirstie Alley is in it. Notable. Uh, of course. Yeah. Can't I go never, without mentioning Kirstie Alley. I've never seen it. I have seen the original, though. Okay. Well, then you can compare it to the original, at least. I mean, it's been so damn long since I've seen the original, I honestly can't really remember outside of its possessed children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, so... It, and it's British! And maybe you're getting it confused with children of the damned no no it was the village of the damned definitely it used to they used to play on tcm during halloween mm. it's, it's old enough well it's been a while since i've seen it i you know i i watched it i want to say like probably five or six years ago because it came out on blu-ray um but the, i don't wait the original or the no the new one the the john carpenter one and i don't i i mean I, I recall most of it, and there are scenes that come back to me, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to watch it again and see how I feel. I know that I felt fairly lukewarm about it when I last watched it, so it'll be interesting to see how how it holds up now, if I feel differently about it. Wow. Did you know George Romero did a documentary on O.J. Simpson called Juices on the Loose in 74? <laughs> nice. Kind of blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you want to hear us do an episode on Village of the Damned, you should subscribe to us. We're on pretty much every podcasting app that you can think of. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, our home base at anchor.fm. If it's a podcasting app, we're probably on it. So you can subscribe and leave us a nice review. That always helps us out. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. And we have a Patreon page, Blood and Black Rum Podcast at, uh, I'm sorry, patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. And then you can also donate to us in other scenarios too. I think you can donate to us on our Anchor.fm page, Apple subscriptions, stuff like that. Uh, that always helps us out, helps us buy beer. So we appreciate anything you can send our way. Uh, we also have an email address at Blood and Black Rum Podcast at gmail.com. Write to us, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, what you hope that we cover on the show, and we'll take that in consideration. Join us next week as we continue So Creepy, It's Carpenter. We're nearing the end. We're, we're getting close to the end of the episodes. Um, we're covering Village of the Dam next time. Oh, shit. No, I'm sorry. Not Starman. Maybe, maybe some other time we'll do Starman, but that's not in the cards for So Creepy, It's Carpenter. But we are doing Village of the Damned, so we hope you tune in, and we hope you enjoyed our episode on Body Bags. Take care.